The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. So tonight, as we investigate this, as we look into this passage, we'll be in Matthew chapter 17, which is where we'll be. Um, in the, toward the end of that, we'll be finishing off Matthew 17 tonight. But I'm asking that question, the simple question, um, is life all about death and taxes? Now, the reason where this comes from, even though I put it out there earlier this week, I put death and taxes, and that's all I put and the reason why I ask this question is there's this phrase was made famous by a quote of Benjamin Franklin in 1789 in a letter which read, Our new constitution is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency. But in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Well, he wasn't original to that. He, believe it or not, he was not the first person to say it. A lot of it's, like I said, he was made, it was made famous by him using it. But it was not a novel idea, but a phrase found elsewhere in Daniel Defoe's The Political History of the Devil in 1726. And then the cobbler, even before that, in The Cobbler of Preston by Christopher Bullock in 1716. Y'all understand this, year 1716. This phrase has been around for a very long time. However, this got me thinking. Every, everything we do is about is about worldview. How? What is this? When we say something, what does it mean? When we say something, what does it say about what we believe about not only our present, but also what does it say about our future? So, is this a biblical worldview? saying all that's permanent, all that's left, is all certain is death and taxes. Now, I'll tell you this. Certainly, certainly, we all shall die. We all shall die. Certainly. Unless the Lord were to return tomorrow, which I look around at our world today, and I don't believe we're done with the work that He has for us. I don't believe that all things have been made new. And so for that reason, I'm certain that if we all die, we will all die, but are taxes something that are always going to be around? Well, let's look at it a little deeper. It does not take long. It got me thinking. And so it does not take a long time to figure out that there are more certainties in the Christian life than death and taxes. And as I read Matthew through Matthew 17 over the last few weeks and weeks ago, something kind of stood out to me. And I told y'all this last week. That's what was kind of interesting. Y'all had talked about taxes, you know, because it's one thing you do something. It's one thing to talk about taxes, but it's another to actually see, is it biblical? Okay. Now, in your circumstance, Luke, Luke, you were talking about this, right? You didn't think taxes were fair, right? You thought it kind of stunk. 
And you thought that if you bought something, if you got more, if you bought more, that you would be able to cover the taxes. But the reality is the more you buy, the higher the taxes went up, right? So if you went for 25 and you would say, well, that's not 25, it's 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 that plus taxes. Well, I'll just get $30 to cover my taxes. And you realize, oh, no, they're charging me tax on $30 now. So it just keeps going and going and going. I deal with taxes all the time. You see it in... You see it in, on certain things. It's, in fact, it's interesting because not everything is taxable. Did y'all know that? Like food, you buy at the grocery store food, it's non-taxable. But there are certain types of foods at a grocery store, products that are taxable because they're not considered healthy. So candy is taxable. Cokes are taxable. There's a tax on certain aspects. And so when we look at this, I want to read this passage of Scripture. And I shared this, and so it got, a, it got, some, got some excitement going this week. I shared the passage that we'll be talking about, and let's listen to what it says. Matthew 17, verses 24 through 27. Just a few verses. It says, When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take first the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Okay, so not all taxes, not all taxes in Scripture are the same. That's what I want first point to tonight. And it's really number one and then A through on. Not all taxes in Scripture are the same, nor are the implications. In fact, when R.J. Rush Jr., and we're going to make some quotes from a book from himself and another man, Edward Powell, in a book called Tithing and Dominion, when they talk about tithes and taxes, they talk about them synonymously. Because a tax is what? It is a, it's not a fine. A tax is, you could, well, you could say a, it's, it's, it's a, it's an amount, or you say, let's use the word, a tax is a fine based upon something, right? For a purpose. It's a charge. Okay, so he used the word synonymously for a reason. So it's important to keep in mind what, what is being talked about. So just because in one place it talks about taxes in a or the tithe in a good light or commands does not mean that all things that in Scripture were necessarily commands of God, but they are sometimes the workings and commands of men. Today I'm not able to go into deep detail regarding all of these tithes and taxes, but we're going to highlight some of them. I've taught about them in the past, and I'm going to highlight them tonight. And we will, real quickly, and then I can actually, when I do some other stuff, I'll try to include them, uh, some notes regarding those, uh, maybe from some past sermons. I haven't talked about this since, really, since 2014, so it's been about five years. So, But let's look at this. A, letter A, 
Our theme passage is discussing something called the temple head tax. It's discussing the temple head tax. And what does that mean? Well, in 1724, they asked that question. They said, "Does they, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher pay not pay the tax? All right. So what is he talking about? When Exodus chapter 30, verses 11 through 16, the Lord says to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there may, may be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is 20 geras, half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who's numbered in the census from 20 years old, right? Listen, everyone who's numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half the shekel. When you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives, you shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it to for, for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord, so as to make atonement for your lives. Now, were they buying their salvation? No. What it was doing was it was reminding them of the Lord's atonement. All right? The ta this tax or this tithe was for the individual to remember their need of the Lord, and ultimately it was for the upkeep of the temple. Did you notice it said where he goes? It will go, it will serve the service of the tent of meeting. It'll go to take care of the temple, the bread that goes into it, all those aspects of the things that are, that are done before the Lord for the sake of his altar and stuff like that. It was all going to go into that. It was necessary to all those things that made to make the daily offerings. Now think about this. So what is this? A half a shekel was basically a half shekel is basically like a half of a silver coin today. Okay? A half an ounce. Okay? So I just did the numbers just for the fun of it, right? Did the numbers for us. In Brazoria County, that would mean that would be the equivalent of about $1,251,000 every year that the census is taken. That would go to take care of the temple right it was just a simple amount so there's only there's only a, in of men and the, by the way it was men age 20 and older not women just the men so if you were to take that that's a hundred it's like 125,100 men in Brazoria County as of 2018 between the ages of 20 and greater Okay, so think about that. That was just Brazoria County. Now we got to think about. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to take a long time here, but I want you to think a little further. What? Where was the temple? What? What city was the temple in? Jerusalem, right? So it'd be like all the little counties. Let's say all the counties that were in Texas. 
And let's say I'm just I'm not blaspheming here. I'm saying let's say Austin was where the capital city. That's where the temple was, right? So all the all the counties would bring that money in every time the census was taken. And what would happen? Every male 20 and older would pay the half shekel tax. They would pay a half half an ounce of silver. Now here's the thing. That was just for the upkeep of the temple. This was basically like an annual tax. And so when he comes in to the city, they asked, does he pay? And they said, yes. But there are also three other tithes. Let's go through these real quick so we can get to the meat of the message. Y'all remember this? There are also three other tithes or taxes. Go ahead and put the next thing up, please. The first of those was, if y'all remember, there was a social Levitical tithe. All right. Now, the reason why we call it the social tithe, it's a societal tithe. It's for the society of the church, the community of the church. In the Old Testament, it would go to the Levitical priesthood, okay? It would actually go to the Levite because they had no inheritance. This was not for the upkeep of the temple. This was how they were taken care of. This is how they were paid for their services. And today, we have a form of that. We have a form of that, and we'll talk about that. So the first was the social Levitical, and, and, and Edward Powell says this in the Tithing and Dominion. He said, the purpose then of the social tithe is to reinforce upon the heart and mind of man the judicial principle that God alone is Lord and creator of man, his society, and his world. Therefore, we can understand that we are to use this tax to capitalize those who are developing the implications of God's law into every area of life and thought. The payment of the Levitical tithe, or the social tithe, is one of the means by which we can come to know and glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This first part of the tithe was, was basically was a 10% tithe of the increase. Okay, And where does it went? We would say this very clearly today. This tithe would go to those who teach, those ministries that we, we invest in or invested in, we, we take upon, and it can be used by anything for any purposes in that education. But it, Or I like how he put it here. He said it was to capitalize those who are developing the implications of God's law in every area, every sphere of life. So that means when we have godly men who are bringing what bringing God's law and God's word into science, that's a place we can invest. Because we're, they're not just talking about science and, edu and medic medicine, but what are they doing? They're actually bringing God's word to life in it. So those are all kinds of things, according to also teaching and how to apply God's word. So I taught this at a conference a couple of years ago. And some people kind of didn't, they just kind of looked at me like deer in the headlights kind of look. And I'm like, yes, that means the 10% tithe does not just go to the local church. That means it can go elsewhere. That means you have 10%, you can go 1% here, 2% here, 3%, wherever you want to do. Wherever God lays upon your heart, those things that bless you, you to do that. The second tithe was a rejoicing tithe. This is my favorite tithe. 
I was sitting here listening to some Legionnaire speakers the other day, communicators, talk about this, and they, they, they weren't even talking about this aspect. They were completely talking about just one tithe, and they believed it all should go to the church. But the rejoicing tithe, here's, here's the thing about the rejoicing tithe. There's five, here's five basic obligations of the rejoicing tithe. That all the firstlings of all animals and trees, their monetary equivalent, they're to be used. Okay, so that, that means the first thing. So when we look at the firstborn among, among your animals was to be brought. Okay, now understand where's, we're going to get to where this goes. The rejoicing, this, that approximately one-tenth of all increase from all other sources to be set aside for rejoicing once a year. So that means of the increase. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean what you have or what you've already had. It's of increase. It means when something. So if I have a hundred dollars and I have I, I I let's say I have a hundred dollars and that's what my I broke even this year, uh, last year. But this last year I had a hundred dollars and now this year I had fifty dollars more. What would I do? That's my increase, right? We're looking at that. So we have fifty more dollars than we did. Our tithes on the rejoicing part we'd be setting that aside would be 10% of that increase of that 50 that would be $5 right but if it was more money like a thousand or ten thousand or whatever you you it's of an increase all right that the ministers of God's word are to be remembered with a token from this tithe they would take that and they would give it to those who ministered to them because they had no inheritance okay they had nothing to give um, they would be remembered. They weren't to receive it all. The church and the pastor is not to receive all of it. The, the Levit Levitical priesthood was not to receive it all, but they were to be remembered. The, that the poor and the stranger also were to be remembered. If possible, with some of these funds as a mean for evangelizing the faith. So guess what? That means some people, both poor and foreigner and widow, they were invited Basically, this is a party, and they're invited, and guess what? That didn't mean they had to be Christians, but part of this was to rejoice before the Lord in such a way so that they would see and that they would hear what God had done and how he had blessed and how we rejoice in him for what he had done. So it's an evangelistic tool, telling people about the goodness of God. That this tithe is to be used solely for rejoicing before the Lord, and not to be used to capitalize oneself. That money was never to be used for your benefit to invest and make more money. That was to be used to celebrate what God had done. And then the last one was simply, here it is, the poor tithe. What's called the poor tithe, which really has nothing, complete. it's not completely to do with the poor. It's setting money aside. You could do it once every three years, or you could, over the three years, you could set apart 3.33% 3, 3 over the over three years, which added up to being right 10, 10%. Okay, Or in the third year, you could set aside another tenth. This was given. There's five principles regarding the poor tithe. It was simple. That this tithe is, is, was used to relieve chronic conditions of poverty for the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the foreigner. That it was to be used to evangelize the faith among non-believers. So you didn't have to be a believer to receive the poor tithe from someone who was a believer. That both the giver and the receiver are to are not to be anonymous. 
This was supposed to be done in the open. In fact, it was done in your hometown, at your house maybe. And you throw this celebration, and a small sum for this tithe is to be paid to the ministers of God's word in order to impress upon all those concerned the fact that no area of life is divorced from the law of God. But it says that this tithe is to be paid to the chronic poor in lump sums. It's not to supplement them over a long period of time. It was paid in one sum in between long and uh, in lump sums in between long intervals of time, meaning once every three years to strengthen the character of the poor and prevent the development of a permanent and dangerous welfare class in society. What that means is, if there was someone who had need, you gave to them a lump sum to get them out of that need. And you did it for a reason. You didn't want them to become dependent on you to keep coming back to you month after month. They didn't need to become dependent upon you. They need to be responsible before God and dependent upon Him completely. And so that wasn't something you did every year. You did it once every three, three years. And that purpose was so there was no dependency. Okay. So those are some other tithes in the Bible. But there are also there are taxes or tithes or taxes that are biblical for the good of the community. In this passage of Scripture, there's going to be some people who might listen to this and they might start disagreeing with me. But I want you to understand this passage of Scripture is talking about a specific aspect of the community. It's also speaking about a specific sphere of authority. I didn't say it. I'm not saying that this authority is greater than a church authority or individuals individuals authority. What we need to hear is this is a God ordained area. It says here, Roman, it's in Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. We're going to talk about the good, the bad, and ugly of this passage. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Now, I want you to understand that when we're talking about this aspect, these are taxes. Then when he talks about their taxes, these taxes are where are they where are they uh, collected? Where would this tax be collected? If you have a governing authority over you, and think about this, think about culture. Where would that where would that where would the uh, authority be coming from? It'd be local, wouldn't it? Now. For the sole purpose, this local authority, this governing authority that is instituted by God, what is its sole purpose? Uh, 
that we see. What does it say? It's what? To bring about justice, right? They're to bring about justice for the victim and toward the wrongdoer. It says if you do good, if you follow God's commands, basically, what happens? There's no fear of this governing authority, correct? These monies are not to be used for any other reason except for the administration of justice. They are to quickly, these people are to quickly adjudicate whether cases have a basis or not based upon the testimony of two or more witnesses. Remember that? For something to be brought to court based on the testimony of two or more witnesses. They have to make sure that there is a basis for it and meet the biblical standards for trial, and then they are to carry out whatever punishment is required. By the way, you don't carry out the punishment. The church doesn't carry out the punishment. Now, if two or three witnesses come forward and they say this person has murdered someone, those two or three witnesses actually, and when they talked about they said to stone them to death, those two or three witnesses were to cast the stones first. What would happen if those were witnesses were false witnesses and were lying? They are now guilty of murder. And so whether people found that out or not, they will be guilty of murder before whom? God. So these people, they're to quickly, when I say adjudicate, carry out these things. If there's not two or more witnesses against a crime, and I know this sounds horrible, and someone has been murdered, and you presume or assume this person has murdered this, but there's not the evidence of two or three witnesses, and we can't go into all that today. But I want to say they adjudicate it quickly, and these people are to what? They are to carry out the biblical justice commanded in Scripture. So that, that means restitution, they tell the person they have to pay this amount. If that person can't pay this amount, then they go into indentured servitude until they pay off their balance. Or in the seventh year, they're set free. If this person has committed a crime which requires the death penalty according to God's word, then what happens to them? They are to be put to death immediately. That would do away with prison systems and all those kind of things. So these taxes are due to, this does not extend to the state or national levels. I'm going to say this, there was no thing given for the state or national levels in regards to elders judging or judging any of these matters. We're not required in Scripture, and you're going to have to listen closely to this so you can get what I'm going to say. I'm not speaking of just all-out all out rebellion, okay? You're going to hear, we are not to... We are not required in Scripture to provide for the national defensive or offensive military. Nowhere in Scripture does tell us that we are to be taxed and pay for it. While every man ought to be prepared to defend his homeland. We are not required in Scripture to provide for national, state, or local welfare through taxation. That means we're not to be paying for uh, WIC or Medicaid or Medicare or food stamps. That's not how God has designed it. We are not required in Scripture to pay for local education of other people's children. We're not required in Scripture to pay for local, state, or national police. Why? 
because most of the things, most of these areas come down to individual self-government or they're unnecessary before a crime is committed. There's no need for the regulation. The role of the magistrate is not to create laws to regulate free men, but to judge righteously when men break God's law. This leads us to the last point, which is actually the meat of the whole thing. There is such thing as unlawful taxation. I was discussing with a man while I was working the other day. You know, he said he didn't mind paying taxes on his on certain things for his farm if if that's all he had to pay taxes on. And what he's talking about is a sales tax or a use tax. And this is what I told him. I said, "Well, I would prefer not to pay any taxes anywhere unless, you know, unless it's basically a head tax." which is based upon the individual. So remember what I told you earlier what the head tax was? It was half an ounce of silver. I, I'd pay an ounce of silver a year to take care of the comp, the area, and uh, to take care of the needs. Well, there is also unlawful taxation. And I want you to understand the difference between a biblical taxation, which takes care of, of justice, or would be a justice department that would judge cases that were criminal cases and then there's unlawful taxation and this is what we're talking about in Matthew chapter 22 which we'll get to we'll probably skip it when we get there but I want you to hear the whole go ahead we get there later on in the study of Matthew the Pharisees went out and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words, and they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Okay, we'll talk about this. Saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Kiss up much? Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, if you are in Facebook land, every once in a while you'll hear this thing, taxation is theft, taxation is theft. And most, almost all taxation that we're talking about today is theft. It's, it's taken against my will. But they are setting him up. Tell us, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Is it right? Jesus, aware of their malice, says, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? He says, Show me the coin. Listen to what this says. For, you see me underlined it, underlined it there? For the tax. Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Now, I want you to understand, when it's talking about this tax, this was this passage discuss, discusses the hated Roman poll tax. 
In fact, the only method of payment that could be used for this tax was Roman money. The reason why they asked him what he asked what the description was and the depiction of the picture was what? It was Caesar's depiction. And that's what they required. In the Roman government, they cared not what coin you used for any other transactions, for sales, for you know, interactions, for, for any of your things. They didn't care as long as it was an ounce or however much, a half a shekel or whatever of, of gold or silver or whatever it was. That was common. They would weigh it. So they knew what the weight and the, and the amount was on those, those aspects. They didn't care if she's, but when it, but when they went to pay this tax, it paid homage to who? Caesar. And when you gave this tax, they did not want you given a coin from another government because they didn't want you to pay honor and respect to another government while paying this tax. They wanted you to pay honor and respect and worship of the Caesar. It represented one thing alone. Okay? Well, here it is. This tax that we're talking about was not a biblically ordained tax. This was a tax levied by the Roman government. It represented one thing alone. Submission to Rome. If Jesus had answered that they should pay the tax, notice he didn't say yes or no. He said if they should pay the tax, if he told them that, then he would have he would have uh, alienated the people, the Jewish people. If Jesus had told them not to pay the tax, he would have borne the wrath of the Herodians for the worship of the oppressive state. But what did Jesus do? See, it, it's, it comes up the same... It's the same conundrum we find ourselves in today. The majority of Christians in America are more like the Herodians. Just pay the tax. For we need it, we need it for our we need it for our, our military. We need it for our veterans. We need it for these things. We need to we need it to, to run our programs. We need it for our schools. We need it for our medical facilities. We need it so everything functions correctly. They're state, they're, what it comes out to me is they become state-worshipping dualists. Yes, Jesus is Lord, but we also need the state. Who don't, they don't want anybody to tread on them unless it's their own political party. So what does that say? Remember our theme passage in Matthew 17? I want you to come back to it. We didn't really focus on this yet. There's a phrase in here. That Jesus used. He says, From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And Peter's response was what? From others. Who are the others? Those who are taxed are not sons, they're not free men, they're slaves. To the one whom taxes them. It's often said that taxes are the price we pay for a civilized society. I, I've had to say all the times. I've even had people tell me it was my Christian duty to pay taxes to the schools. 
<laughs> I did not, they didn't take my answer well. Which translates, unless we oppress and regulate men, we can't make men do what we want them to do. See, people talk about how our country was formed and the reason a war for independence was fought. I was talking about this with my kids this morning, so I said it was over taxation without representation. That's what the Boston Tea Party was about. It was about it was about taxation on tea. We fought a war over taxation of tea. On tea. And now we roll over and say, is this the price we pay for a civilized society? Well, whose society? Is it God's society? So how do we respond to unlawful taxation? Are we going to be like the Boston Tea Party and we're going to go start trashing all the federal buildings? No. We know that we know that the way we beat unlawful and pagan ideas is not to be unlawful and pagan. It's not about rebellion. Because here's the thing. We know we know who owns all things. Give to the things that are Caesar. Give to Caesar what are his. And here you also can say Caesar can keep what's his. Give to God the things that are God's. What is God's? What 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 does God own? Everything. And what else did we find out in Romans thirteen? That all authority is ordained by God. But not all authority is godly. He raises up rulers and kings and he deposes them, is what scripture tells us. Is most of the taxation that we get, is it biblical and lawful? Absolutely not. You know why you got upset with having to pay tax on something you hadn't even used? It's a it's video game, right? It's 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 not even it's just it's about credits to buy. It's not it's not even a real thing, is it? It's just electronic, right? It's just little little boop boop boops, little things on a screen, and they're taxing you over that. They tax you on the air you breathe, by the way. And we get upset. Because all we want to do is it's our money and it's what we have and we want to use it the way we want to and we don't want anybody to... I mean, but you go to the gas to put gasoline in the vehicle, there's taxes on that. There's federal and state taxes there. There's federal and state taxes on, on my whiskey if I want to drink some whiskey. There's taxes on your clothing. They tax you when you work. They take taxes out of every check. And then at the end of the year, you pay income tax to the federal government once again on top of the things that you've already paid again. 
And guess what? If you save a bunch of money and you pay the Social Security and you get Social Security back when you're old, which probably won't be around, guess what? They tax you on it again. And you get angry and get upset. But here's the thing. We can be angry and upset, but there's the, the, this is the thing. It's unbiblical. And some people say, just go along with it. It's easier just to go with it. Than to, but that's not what we're called to do either. Psalm 24, 1-2 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness of thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. We do not belong to the government. You children don't belong to the state. You belong to God. We are His stewards, His parents over you. And just as we're stewards of the money that He gives us and stewards of the time and the work that we do. But see, an unlawful... An unlawful and pagan government is to be met and addressed the same way as a lawless and pagan people. And that's with the gospel of the kingdom. You might force me to pay these things, but I am not your slave. I belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I kneel before one and only, and you will one day too. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Not Caesar. I came and say I was going to be mean. I'm not the president. Unlawful taxation and oppression doesn't disappear until men are into subjection to Christ. We are to oppose and refuse any authority that forbids us to do what God requires or requires us to do what God forbids. But until that time, you know what happens if you don't pay your taxes? What if I don't pay my property taxes? They charge me interest. And if I don't pay that with interest, guess what happens? They come and take my property. Let's say my property taxes total this year about $1,500. My property and my home are worth much more than $1,500. A lot more. I don't pay my taxes this year. They let it slide, but they keep charging me interest. I don't pay it next year. They might sue me and take me and foreclose on my property and take my property from me. Over $3,000, $4,000. Even if my property is worth four hundred to five hundred thousand, and then the county then owns my property. You know how we oppose those things? We preach the gospel of the kingdom to them. We help them understand that the only necessary authority that we need, the only taxation we really need, is for justice to be carried out. And we could do this at a city or we could actually do it at a county level and that's all we need. We have a very, very deep system that's there so we continue to increase taxes and pay those things. Is there... All to life is there only death and taxes. No. He's called us to an abundant life. He's called us to put to death the things of death. 
of the flesh. And when you no longer have men or women in authority that are willing to enforce unjust taxation and unjust laws because they know that Jesus is king and not the state, guess what happens? They won't take because they know it's theft. They know they'll stand before a holy God as thieves, people who murder. They'll stand before God as liars and blasphemers. See, our whole thing is, as, as Reconstructionists, as Christian Reconstructionists, as believers, is to bring people to obedience to God's law word, to a knowledge, a saving knowledge of Him, which He does the work. We preach the gospel. And then the gospel doesn't stop with salvation, but it takes over every aspect of their life. That's what we're to do. So there's more to life than death and taxes, because there will be a time when all things are made new and there will be no taxation there will be no theft there will be more and more death there will be no more mourning and we'll see Jesus face to face and that will be a blessed day let's pray together and we'll close tonight Father we thank you for this day thank you for the opportunity to open your word and Lord I pray that you Lord, continue to work in us, and Lord, help us understand that, Lord God, even though we are oppressed, Lord God, we have an obligation. We can write for these things to be removed, or we can, we can preach the gospel to our civil magistrates to the point that they, they choose to work for nothing. They choose to not steal. They choose to resign over being, uh, rather than being, um, walking in disobedience to you, Lord. Lord, let us know that that there's a purpose behind every aspect and every and everything that you have for us. And Lord God, we as your followers ought to be obedient to you, that we are to respect those who deserve respect, honor those who deserve honor, and glorify you in the process. Just because someone might treat us like a slave, we are sons of the Most High God. And it doesn't matter how many coins of reverence to men or countries are made, Lord God, all those things will be burned up and they will all turn to worship you at some point in time. And we'll look for the day when all your enemies are put under your feet and are footstooled. And Lord God, that all things reign you and you reign in all newness of life. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.